Hello again, everybody, and welcome into this edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Remember, subscribe to our feed. New episodes Monday mornings, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or right at nationalreview.com. You can click on podcasts and see the new episode and all of our old episodes as well. And if you are so inclined, we invite you to, of course, leave a review as well uh, about how much you loved or tolerated the musical opinions of thus uh, uh, included in the show. Uh, my name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My co-host, as always, standing by is Jeff Blair, and you can find him at Esoteric CD on Twitter. Jeff, how are you feeling? I'm feeling all right there. How are you, Scott? I feel a little bit you know, laid back. Sipping on a white Russian, wearing a bathrobe. <laughs> I think you might even just decide to call me the dude today because I feel a lot like the dude today, as you shall see. Ah, uh, yes. We'll hit our band, you might already know, in just a second. Uh, but first, it is time for us to bring on our guest for the week uh, on Political Beats. Uh, he is uh, the author of the recent book, The Art of Being Free, uh, contributing editor at American Affairs, Principal at Contra DC, and also a singer and guitarist in the band Vast Asteroid. Uh, he is James Polis. James, how are you? Oh man, I am uh, living life in the fast lane today. <laughs> how are you? Doing well. Looking forward to our conversation about this uh, this great American band uh, coming up. Before we introduce the band, which people might have already guessed, well, we first turn to you, James, and ask you to explain to us, if you would please. What is your political beat? What is your political job? How did you get drawn into this mess? <laughs> uh, I blew into Washington, D.C. about um, six years behind schedule. Uh, started a blog in the right place at the right time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I lasted five years in our nation's capital. Uh, very productive time. Um, and, uh, you know, and then you discover that unless you want to have the same conversations about the same policy issues, uh, with the same people, God bless them. I love them all dearly in the same bars, uh, every night of the week until you die, uh, you need to leave. Um, and so I returned to Los Angeles where, where here I sit, uh, in the, uh, the cradle of, uh, terminal West coast decadence, um, and uh, still, however, I, I'm still I'm still in the game, um, writing essays and editing things and working on uh, various book projects and uh, generally trying not to lose all faith in my fellow man. <laughs> Successful so far? Uh, well, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> if I, you know, if I finally make good on my th recurring threat on Twitter.com to uh, to flee to the Seychelles and carve canoes, uh, <laughs> then you'll know that I've given up. Uh, all right, James. So uh, we we talk to people who are in politics, report on politics, comment on politics about nothing political whatsoever, but only about their favorite uh, bands and the bands and artists they are most passionate about. And today, uh, we introduce our featured artist. They had five number one singles throughout their career, six number one albums. Two of their albums happen to be the top 20 sales uh, in music history. Not bad. 150 million records sold through their career. Uh, they've made oodles and oodles and oodles of money through touring, especially after a reunion in the, uh, the mid-90s, and continue even to this day. The band is... Eagles. 
and I, I want to get that straight because anyway, I think Glenn Fry is very particular. It is just Eagles. It's not the Eagles. It's just Eagles. So, James, if you would, tell us why you love the Eagles, Eagles, and what the music does for you. Well, you know, my uh, my truly deranged music obsession uh, lands more squarely in the 1990s. Uh, but over the years, in the long run, if you will, I came to understand that uh, we owe it to Eagles uh, to to understand their greatness and to uh, and to try our best to keep it going in these uncertain and musically fragmented times. Um, even though the the fingerprints of Eagles are all over uh, the music scene today, just perhaps not in the way we think. Um, it's still a moment when uh, when it's just it's just damn hard to do what they did even harder than it was to do what they did at the time. Um, and that's for a, a myriad of reasons we can get into. Uh, so I think, you know, I think the Eagles, uh, the Eagles come in for a lot of criticism, especially today when it's like, Oh, these mopey self-entitled aging white men who, you know, are just crying in their beer about how hard it is to keep, you know, seducing girls on the road <laughs> or whatever it is they're talking about. Um, no, I think actually if we take a more generous view of, uh, of what is going on with the Eagles and what is behind the phenomenon of the Eagles, uh, we can discover all kinds of wonderful things. Um, I got a jump on all this in a certain respect, uh, given that, um, that I'm a Detroit boy by birth. Mm -hmm. uh, my father and uh, Glenn Fry uh, shared a girlfriend. Uh, not at the same time. And so I was kind of, you know, I was present uh, at the creation, if not of the Eagles phenomenon, then of the Eagles mythos, uh, being born in 1979, the uh, the year that the last good Eagles record came out. Um, I got to see uh, I got to see the moment at which the boomers really began to get old. Uh, you know, not always gracefully, um, and and doggedly devoted to sort of carrying their their thirties on for as long as they could. Uh, and that was the 80s. Um, in a way, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I think it's provocative but instructive to suggest that the format of classic rock radio only came into existence because the Eagles broke up and the appetite for Eagles songs was still so immense <laughs> that they had to create an entire radio format in order to just continue to play old Eagles songs. Uh, and the Eagles churned them out. Um, they were a singles act in an album era, which I think is a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they, they put out a record a year from 70, what, 72 to 76, and then took a little break and did uh, one more in 79. Um, they released lots and lots of songs. And, uh, and I defy you or anyone really to name uh, more than one of those songs that is not a hit. Um, that reflects strangely on the Eagles, given that the seventies was such an album oriented time. Uh, you know, there's a format called album oriented rock and the Eagles sort of get lumped in there just because of the sound. But in fact, they were, they were a devotedly singles band. They were about making smash songs that were perfectly crafted and recorded and executed and tapped into something that could connect with gazillions of people. Um, not since the Beach Boys, arguably, was there such a talented band operating as a unit, delivering that kind of compositional craft um, that was also super pop, uh, but wasn't, you know, 
wasn't merely pop. It was also rooted in Americana in, in a way that, that gave it an authenticity that, you know, sometimes the Eagles were able to, to take advantage of in their weaker moments uh, in order to keep the, the Eagles legend alive. Um, and part of that, you know, just reaching back to my own weird personal um, relationship with the Eagles, uh, is the kind of, of band that they were regionally speaking. Uh, they were a Midwest to California band, and they, they captured that Midwest to California ethos uh, that, that fewer bands than you think did. Um, they weren't a Rust Belt band. They weren't an East Coast band. They weren't a Southern rock band, although Nashville today is almost entirely indebted, I would argue, to mm-hmm. those Eagles singles. Mm-hmm. Um, look at what Keith Urban is doing. You know, he's a front line of four dudes on guitars and <laughs> lots of sort of pop, poppy, catchy, country, rocky, you know. I mean, look at a band like Imagine Dragons. I don't think you can have a band like Imagine Dragons without the Eagles. Uh, and some people would see that as like a horrendous backhanded compliment. But, you know, <laughs> Imagine Dragons, amalgaming styles, making huge hits. They don't particularly care what anyone has to say about them. They're living the dream. Um, and that was the Eagles brand. And it was an authentic brand. Um, and I think that matters tremendously to how American music has developed and how, how we even think to this day of what what the musical version of the American dream is. Uh, there, there are a handful of bands from that era uh, that reached that level. Um, and, th- and the other sorts of bands that they are, you know, who I think of as, as the Eagles' true contemporaries, um, cover a, a bizarre stretch of of you know a huge field of, of genres uh think of a band like abba you know abba was a singles band in an album era they had the perfect composition they had the the soaring harmonies they had you know every note in its place and the production was glistening And uh, I think of a band like Kiss, you know, the Eagles are sort of the kiss of Americana. Um, (laughs) Over the top personalities, uh, sort of insanely devoted fan base, um, easily ridiculed. Uh, But if, you know, if like you, like myself, you are uh, a a casual fan of Henry Rollins, you too can go listen to Henry Rollins. uh, I don't know if it's a stand-up act, really, but he he's, he's a monologist, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, and so he has this great story about uh, being converted to the Kiss Army, um, starting out as a man who hates Kiss and wants nothing to do with Kiss and loathes, he thinks, everything that the Kiss stands for and sees the Kiss Army as this sort of, you know, troglodytic horde. Uh, and he comes over the course of a couple Kiss songs, uh, finally seeing them live, to be sort of swept up in the grandeur of it all. Uh, and I think that the Eagles can do that for you, too. They never played a bad live show, <laughs> including the one where they broke up on stage. Uh, you know, this is a band that conquered disco <clears throat> in one song and moved on. Not many bands can say that. Uh, they have, you know, quote unquote, too many guitars on stage. And yet it's not a wall of sound and it's not a giant wank. Every player has their place. There's space in the songs. The songs breathe. They have dynamics. 
Um, so many of those dad rock bands or bands that are turning into dad rock bands, like, you know, Pearl Jam and Foo Fighters, for God's sake, um, it's just kind of like a, a wall of noise and they lack the vocal stylings that can elevate that many musicians on stage into something more than just kind of like a gross boomer jam effect. Um, the Eagles had all the secret weapons and they weren't afraid to use them and they knew how to use them without pushing them too far. Um, no Eagles song goes on too long. Even a song like Take It to the Limit is under five minutes, which is insane when you sort of sit in that song. It feels like, you know, it can expand to, to fill the world. So, you I know, I think... you with the last resort. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I think for all those reasons and, and no doubt more, um, the Eagles are a force to be reckoned with. Uh, they uh, penetrated popular culture and people's imaginations and memories uh, in a way that few bands have ever done and a few bands ever will. Um, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And, uh, you know, before you look for the bad in the Eagles, I would encourage us all to look for the good in the Eagles and understand exactly why it is so precious. That was an incredibly eloquent defense. Now I must crap all over it. And I apologize for that. Um, by the way, actually, I'm, I, getting, I, I'm, I'm over- getting on my umbrella. No, I'm overplaying it. I mean, uh, I'm, I actually do think there was uh, uh, something very wrong with the way that the Eagles are viewed, especially in the modern era. I think the Big Lebowski has an unfortunate amount to do with that. It sort of mainstreamed uh, the uh, the hipness to the hipness of hating the Eagles. You know, once uh, once Jeff Bridges says it, uh, suddenly it's very cool, and everybody has to also say that they they effing hate the Eagles too. But I effing hated the Eagles before the Big Lebowski ever came about, and all I, although I do admire a lot of the technical skills and aspects of what they do and in fact i like quite a few of their songs i'm we're going to go through this and there are quite a few songs maybe even an album or two that i will that i actually genuinely think are great i i I have a big problem with the eagles in fact i have a big problem that goes all the way back to what i consider to be the fracturing of the whole southern rock genre rather southern california rock genre it's sort of the the classic tale of the end of the 60s and the birth of the early 70s and how you had bands like buffalo springfield and the birds and their bastard spawn became poco and became Mm. the eagles and in fact all of these groups shared genealogies shared members the Flying Burrito Brothers being the obvious connective tissue between them. And you saw an increasing, and I think this is a bad thing, professionalization of the music, the craft, epitomized not only by the Eagles, but by uh, acts like Linda Ronstadt, who, of course, the Eagles started off as Linda Ronstadt's backing band. Uh, But also, um, you know, you also had uh, acts like, Oh, oh, geez. Yeah. What, what was the um, the horrible Stephen Stills act? Uh, uh, the one that's named after. Why can't I remember it? It was a side gig when he was doing Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Um, but it was it was a terrible, terrible kind of a southern rock fusion sort of a thing that, to me, epitomized the slide from a more experimental and a rougher and more sort of Catholic approach to music to something that was very, very smoothed down, ironed out, sanded out. You could also maybe put Jackson Brown into this bag, especially on his early two albums. Mm-hmm. Um, same kind of you know deep singer-songwriter, but I would actually defend Jackson Brown more strongly than I might defend the Eagles. I can boil my musical issues with them down to literally this. I wrote it in my notes when I was going back and revisiting the albums, and... Uh, 
simply four words. Oh, the f***ing strings. But that is literally the only thing I could write when listening to all of these ballads. If you look at a lot of those early Eagles albums, particularly in their pre-rock country phase, you know, the, the self-titled debut, Desperado, On the Border, or even some of one of these nights, when basically when Bernie Ledden was still in the band, there are a lot of good songs on there. But they're the much more rough-hewn country songs. There's, there's no such mm-hmm. thing as a truly rough-hewn song on an Eagles album. They cared far too much about production, production technique, about getting every note absolutely in place and every harmony 100% correct. That there's there's nothing like a true like Grateful Dead style rave up on any of their records. But they had much more interesting country and country rock material, and it's found exclusively as album tracks on a lot of those early records. And I think it was. I was going back and looking through their greatest hits. Like everybody else, we all know these songs. But it was depressing to me how many of them were just the sort of, to my mind at least, the maudlin mid-tempo ballads that might be well-written but were just absolutely, uh, to my mind, I would have just generic, ear-pleasing radio stuff. I think of the best of my love is the classic example of that. You see it your way, I see it mine. Or peaceful, easy feeling. And before I get too deeply into this, we might as well just start with that first album. That first debut album, which was formed very much under the influence of Flying Burrito Brothers. I believe they actually though went to England to record it with Glenn Johns of all yep. people, because mm-hmm. Even then, they were under the uh, the delusion that they were somehow a rock band <laughs> when they were a country act. Um, a lot of people dismissed that first album as being sort of second rate, other than the hit singles. I like it. I actually think it's a pretty good record. Yeah, I think the best track on the first album um, is the um, is the one co-written by Gene Clark, uh, formerly of the, of the Birds. Train leaves here this morning, where Bernie Ledden does that one. Um, you miss things in, in, unless you listen carefully. Uh, Take it easy. I've heard I don't know 1.4 million times in my life. I don't know if I noticed that double time banjo that runs through the tail end of that track until I listened to it again for the show. But there are touches like that, and, and uh, Jeff mentioned, you know, every note is in the right place. And I, I, I think of Steely Dan a bit when I hear that, right? The amount of time spent in the studio, the perfection they wanted with the way the instruments sounded, with the way the orchestration sounded, the strings in later years. There's some similarities. Um, and early on with Glenn Johns, Glenn Johns didn't even want to produce the Eagles because he saw them play and they stunk. And then he heard their, <laughs> he heard their harmonies, and he said, well, those harmonies I can do something with. And I think that's what he was trying to pull out of them with those first two albums that he produced, The Eagles uh, and, and Desperado, uh, working with the, uh, with the talent that he had available uh, and the vocal stylings of those, of those guys. Um, I, I think there are some real gems on the, on the early albums, as, as Jeff mentioned. Um, and then you have Chug All Night, which to me is like a prototypical Glenn Fry tune. Like that's one you'd hear on the All Nighter a decade later, uh, his solo disc. It's just kind of, yeah, that's, that's a, rock, a tune that, that Glenn Fry wrote where he tries to rock, and there it is on the first album. I think the notable thing about that first album is how democratic the credits are. Don Don Henley gets exactly one song on that album, and it's a co-written song. It's Witchy Woman, which is a great song, by the way. One of their actual sort of hit singles that rocks before, like, you know, prior to getting Joe Walsh, at least. It's like a, not, a, not a ballad, but it's actually a pretty good rock song, kind of moody, 
kind of as far away from country rock as anything you could imagine. I really like that song. That's the only thing that Don Henley uh, writes on that record. Um, Bernie Ledden and Randy Meisner get just as much time as Glenn Fry and Don Henley on that record. And I think a lot of people would say, well, later on, you know, Fry and Henley kind of earned their preeminence because they were writing the hits and the bigger songs. But I do like the fact that there's just a lot more variety on, on the first album, first two albums than there are on the later ones. You know, um, apropos of, uh, of album one, I remember distinctly when uh, my parents picked up the, the first Eagles CD when all those songs started to hit compact disc and they you know spun it for the first time and they both shared this look of bewilderment when this banjo comes flowing in to the end of take it easy and they're like that was that on there all the time like it was just (laughs) not audible to them on you know their their beat up eagles lp that Mm -hmm. they were accustomed to spinning um and i do think you know i found myself on twitter the other day um sorry, guilty as charged, um, comparing the Eagles to, uh, to Steely Dan and telling people the bad news that those two bands have much more in common than they thought. And I, you know, I, I would continue to make the case for that comparison today, uh, especially now that Steely Dan is, is considered to be, you know, the, the cutting edge of hipster cool now, you know, given the origins of their name and the sort of, decadence of their yacht rock stylings and um and and you know the eagles are looked upon as sort of not not like weird enough or the not big enough losers to be cool or whatever it is (laughs) and i find that you know very off-putting considering you know that that both bands were were mining this vein of you know of I mean, you know, I, I cried when I wrote this song, Sue Me If I Play Too Long. That could come right out of an Eagles song, man. That, that's sort of the, the concept for all those Eagles ballads. Um, and, and as treacly as some of them may be, um, I think that they're, they don't overwhelm uh, the, the core Eagles concept, which is, uh, which is you know, <clears throat> the, the setting California sun. Uh, you push... You push, you know, you take it to the limit and what comes next? And there's this long sort of come down and this melancholy awareness that you've locked yourself into a trajectory that might burn very bright on the way up, uh, but it might take a long, long time to, to come back down. Um, and you, you can take it to the limit one more time, um, but you may find uh not to just keep piling on the lyrical references, um, you may find it, uh, you may find it impossible uh, in a variety of doom to try to look back on your life. You know, don't look back. You can never look back. Like, don't don't look back. The, the past will eat me. You know, and I think there is that kind of that that dark, nervous edge. You know, to to the part of the Eagles canon that isn't. Uh, just you know kind of like a what what feels now like a a generic love ballad i swear to god james by the end of this you're gonna have me convinced you make such an eloquent case (laughs) okay but listen even you even you must be able to agree that the cover of desperado was one of the most ridiculous things (laughs) in the entire early 1970s 
come on, can we at least not laugh at the, the ridiculous pretentiousness? I mean, maybe give him credit for trying, but the Eagles is Old West gunslingers. Oh, man, they look so funny, dud up and guns and be like bandoleros around their chest. So this is this is the only <laughs> Eagles record that features the band on the cover. Uh-huh. They, right. learned, they learned their lesson, never again. <laughs> like Bernie Ledden holding a shotgun he looks like he's never held a thing like that in his life it's the funniest thing um, and by the way Desperado is another album I hate the title track with an abiding passion it's, it is literally perhaps my least favorite like big Eagles single I gotta, it was that, not It was not a single it was right. never released as a single it was oh, and you're right. Yeah. Picked up by in the golden age of DJs when DJs actually sort of played what they wanted to hear instead of just, you know, being uh, people who pushed the button on focus tracks. I think of it as a single because it's on the greatest hits album. Right. That's probably why. Right? I got to tell you a quick fan, fan service, man. Disgusting. Quick Desperado story is that my, my parents had the greatest hits album, their greatest hits. And, and so Desperado, uh, there was a there was a skip. Uh, a, a record skip in Desperado, so I can never ever listen to Desperado without knowing exactly where that skip was, um, and uh, and so I, I hear that every single time I hear Desperado. Um, uh, freedom, oh freedom. Well, that's just, uh, well that's just, uh, well that's just, uh, and I have to go, and I have to go hit the record player and to get it to say some people talking. <laughs> Desperado will forever, and of course this is just the younger generation thing for me perhaps, but for me Desperado will be inextricably forever associated with that episode of Seinfeld where <laughs> Elaine's boyfriend, like they're in the middle of like some important romantic conversation and he makes her stop so he can listen to Desperado on the radio and starts crying manly tears. <laughs> I just think that's that to me actually was such a brilliant scene because it perfectly embodied what about that song and about a lot of those ballads kind of seems faintly ridiculous to me which is like oh i'm feeling these deep thoughts man i'm sitting here with my beer i'm an outlaw on the run you know and of course these guys are la studio musicians living life high out of their minds on cocaine having fun banging groupies so i guess you know james made an argument that we should set that aside and we should take the music on its own merits and i think that is a really eloquent point that i i, I credit but it is difficult for me to let that aside now all that said there's some great songs on this record i really love doing dalton all right that's a good song 21 another bernie Ledden song great song I even like Tequila Sunrise for a mid-tempo, early Eagles country ballad, just another Tequila Sunrise. All right, I'll go with that one. I think that one's a pretty decent one. So there's there's some pretty strong music on this record that the overall conceit and that ridiculous cover, <laughs> you got to laugh at that cover. Bernie Ledden's Bitter Creek is very good, too, at the end of the album. It's about as, production-wise, about as lo-fi, unvarnished as the Eagles uh, would sound, I think, during during their time. Yeah. Uh, and it's another Leaden track that's great. They tried to show me, tried to show me. You know there ain't no cause to weep. At Bitter Creek. And you mentioned you like the variety of the first album, and I was reading a Henley interview 
where he was thinking or is reflecting on the first album and his uh, reflection or his uh, takeaway from the first album was that he could already see there was going to be a problem with division of labor. Too many uh, Indians and not enough chiefs or something along those lines. And so I don't think he was all that uh, pleased with the fact that the labor was so divided on album one. And I love Don Henley's interviews. He always seems like this omniscient narrator. Uh, narrator. Uh, he can go back and comment on these things with like this this voice of God that he we're gonna, knows we're gonna get exactly to this what happened. Talk yeah. about the, the the documentary, right? Because, yeah, that, that's that's classic Don Henley right there. <laughs> it, it helps that, that also that he now looks like Shelby Foote, which uh, <laughs> lends lends an air of American documentary to all of his interviews. <laughs> uh, it's political beats presentation of National Review, uh, talking to James Polis and. Eagles is our band on this edition. Remember, subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, NationalReview.com on Mondays for new episodes. Our old ones are up there as well. Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and James Polis with us this week. Uh, new producer for album three, two tracks with Glenn Johns before they said, no, I'm sorry, Glenn, this isn't working anymore. And they bring in uh, Bill Simchek, who uh, produced James Gang, Joe Walsh, um, and would help Joe Walsh with the band later. And so Bill Simchek produces album three, which is On the Border. Um, this, I, I, I think, is probably my least favorite Eagles album from that first run. I'm not going to include Long Road Out of Eden, I suppose. Um, but listening back again for prep for the show, how out of place Best of My Loves sounds. It's the final track on the, on, on the record. Um, and it seems so out of place with the rest of it. And they're kind of transitioning. Don Felder's here on two tracks. They play a little louder. Uh, they cover a Tom Waits tune. Again, I have to point to Bernie Ledden for a highlight, My Man, which is his Graham Parsons tribute song who had just passed away, I think a year or so before the album was released. I, I think On the Border is a pretty uneven album as they were transitioning between this the, the Glenn Johns period early and what they would even get to on just even the next album, uh, one of these nights. I think it might be my favorite Eagles album. Oh. How's, how's that? Well, you know, I, since I'm not an Eagles fan, um, I have pretty non-standard views on the Eagles music. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not beholden to any sort of critical, well, what do the fans think? I guess the fans all believe Hotel California is their best record, and they're probably right. But I like the variety of this record. I think Best of My Love is another one of those, those Eagles ballads that I hate. And, of course, it sounds so out of place because it was one of the two songs that was produced by Glenn Johns, yeah. sort of a smooth ballad. And so they took that with them, then they did the rest of it with Bill Simchick. Um but already gone. This is the Eagles finally saying, "Hey, we're rock and roll. We're we'll right rock and roll song." That's a pretty good country rock song. Midnight Flyer is one I really like. Midnight Flyer again is the Eagles not trying to make a pop record. They're making a country rock record. You got a lot of, you know, you got banjo, you got country accents on that. Um, My Man, as you said, another great one. Um, even James Dean. James Dean is a great guitar song with a stupid, stupid lyric. Um, <laughs> I think all rock groups should just permanently forswear writing about James Dean or Marilyn Monroe. You can't do it anymore. The only good song ever written about either of those two people was Candle in the Wind and that was done and it was over. So don't don't ever try to go revisit that because it just sounds really stupid. And they had, they like, was it James Dean, James Dean? Like basically, you know, oh, it's so hard to be a rebel. Like, oh man, you, you're taking a really, really great backing track really great rock sound on that opening side too and you're ruining it with a really dumb dumb lyric but i like the song because i can ignore the lyrics 
Old 55, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of Tom Waits, and I'm a big fan of that first album of his, Closing Time. So I like that song, and I think they do it justice. They, they definitely slick it up. They make it into a much prettier song than the original version was. Um, and uh, the other one I mentioned is uh, another one where they're clearly trying to do something a little harder-edged or a, a little more rocking in the country rock vein, and that's Good Day in Hell. I like that song. I think that's about basically like, you know, bunch of their their drug casualty friends people like danny witten and stuff like that and it, it's it has an edge that's appropriate to that a little bit rougher as rough as the eagles would ever get at least and i really like that aspect of this album i get that it's a little bit up and down i you never cry like a lover is is a horrible horrible song i don't like on the border that much either but uh, yeah, I mean, ironically enough, for one that really doesn't ever get much talked about except for the first song on it, I think this is a pretty decent record. Uh, you know, I'm not going to defend James Dean. I'll just start there. <clears throat> um, I do think, uh, you know, Good Day in Hell is, uh, is, is, you know, is kind of Henley in the pocket, you know, when he's singing about, about the devil. Um, it's probably going to be one of the better, better <laughs> Eagle songs. saw that in, in witchy woman uh you see it in some other places and then sometimes you know he can he can take it to the to the borderlands of pastiche but usually it works out uh nicely and you know as as i think you know as a as a record on the border um is their most albumy album i guess and and jeff that might be why, why, why yeah. you, you enjoy it so much yeah, uh, and and for a band for a band that was, you know, resolutely about the smash single or, you know, that's, that's, I guess what they became, uh, from here on out. Um, it's, you know, they could, they could make a record too, uh, a full length record and have it sort of work that way. Uh, and, you know, best of my love as, as treacly as it seems, um, is kind of a classic album closer. And, you know, you have to remember that, you know, at this time it was like Glenn Fry, like hanging out with Joni Mitchell, learning guitar tunings and, uh, and that, that kind of the soup that songs like best of my love came out of, uh, it was not, um, what it became, uh, by the time the seventies had, had sort of limped into the eighties. Uh, it wasn't as pat and predictable, uh, then as it is now. And, uh, and if you want to blame the Eagles for for launching all of those ships, then you know you can you can do that in the same way that you can try to blame Eddie Vedder personally for you know <laughs> for stained or whatever. <laughs> um, but you know, but but what does that get you at the end of the day? Except just another reason to sort of complain about how first rate acts um, inspire you know tenth rate acts, right? I just am amused at when you go look at the, the credits to James Dean. They required four lyricists to come up with a lyric that bad. <laughs> J.D. Souther, Glenn Fry, Don Henley, and Jackson Brown even com- contributed to that lyric. And that was the best they could come up with. I don't understand how they could take such a wonderful, wonderful piece of rock music and turn it into just a 
very, very silly song. So, so no but, love for David Essex either, I guess. Huh? No. <laughs> yeah. This, by the way, of course, brings us to uh, sort of the end of an era with one of these nights. It was Bernie Ledden's last album. And before we say anything else, I want to tip my cap to the cover of the album, One of These Nights, yeah. where the Eagles suddenly are the Eagles of death metal. Uh, <laughs> th this is a record that looks like it came from a Swedish death rock heavy metal act. It's a very bizarre painting that could could not be more further removed from what the music on this album sounds like, which is very smooth country, disco, pop singles. You look at the cover of that record and it looks like, well, it looks like you know Satan is about to steal your soul <laughs> if you put these grooves onto your, your record player. I have no idea why they came up with it, but it's such a wild contrast. The font alone is yes. like yeah, out yeah. of 1985, not 75. Right. It's like Tron. <laughs> <laughs> but it really does. It looks like you see these wings in the background, and it looks like, oh, my God, that's the angel of death. Boy, when did the Eagles take such a bleak turn? And then you put on the record, and it's like, oh, well, it's the first song that comes on. Oh, it's one of these nights. Oh, the Eagles doing a little bit of disco here, you know? But, again, uh, this is a, a decent album, but um, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd rather let somebody go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a pretty darn good album. Uh, one of these nights, the lead track you referenced, there's some disco, there's a four on the floor. Glenn Fry said he was listening to the Spinners and Al Green when he wrote some of the music for that one. I, I like uh, I, I like the track. Hollywood Waltz is kind of Western swing kind of thing. Bernie Ledden's involved there once again. Um, and his contributions, you, know, you, you mentioned you want to make sure you point out the album. Let's make sure we point out how, how much Bernie Ledden meant to the band in these first four albums, how many highlights he was a key contributor and or writer for. Um, he's he's all over these albums, and as much as Joe Walsh would really define uh, you know, the slide guitar and the sound of perhaps uh, the final two albums, Bernie Ledden was so big for these first four and contributed a ton, like Journey of the Sorcerer, six-and-a-half-minute instrumental. Uh, Bernie Ledden's fingerprints on a banjo, fiddle, there's some orchestration in there, too. Good track. Take It to the Limit, which would uh, which would eventually spell the end of Randy Meisner's time in the band. He didn't like to sing it. <laughs> didn't like to hit those high notes. Got in some fights. We might get to that in a, in a bit. Um, and um, the only real down track, I, I Wish You Peace, Bernie Ledden co-wrote with Patty Davis, his girlfriend at the time. Yes, that Patty Davis. And again, Don Henley, the omniscient narrator, saying... Um, this song was not up to band standards, and we only put it on the record so that we could keep the band together. Uh, that didn't really work. Bernie Ledden left anyway. But I think one of these nights on the whole is a very good Eagles album. Oh, it's it's one of the top for me as well. Um, and you know, I, I think "Take It to the Limit" is one of the one of their best songs. And if you write a song that good and, and you sing a song <clears throat> that well, you have to you have to do that repeatedly. <laughs> um you can't, you know, no, I just I just did it for the record and now I'm I'm I can't be held to my own high standard. Sorry, too bad. This is the Eagles. You gotta take these songs on the road and you have to nail your part. And uh so you know Meisner, it's sad. He he took his participation in the band to the limit. Um, and he reached his apex and then just sort of collapsed under the strain of being so good. And that's 
that's quite sad, but um, but it made for you know it made for a great record. It's in you know sort of that that perfect side two track two position, um, and uh, and of course there's no exceeding one of these nights uh, from the way that it begins and it rolls you in, and you know it's Henley singing about the devil again, um, <laughs> you know slash heroin slash you know some girl in Laurel Canyon that sort of messed up his life for you know a month or whatever. Um, it, I think it's all very rewarding and, um, you know, and, and personally the higher that any of those guys can sing on an Eagles track, the more I'm probably going to enjoy that track. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you. I really like it when they start scaling the octaves for whatever reason, I, I, you hear the effort a lot more, I think in their voices, which is part of what appeals to me about it. Yes. Roughs it up just a little, just a little bit. You can feel some, some fine grain sandpaper going on. Um, one of these nights also includes Don Felder's only vocal track on Visions. That would be a bone of contention, which we'll get to as we hit the uh, the next album. Political Beats is the name of the show. Presentation of National Review. Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and James Polis is with us. Author of The Art of Being Free, recent book. Editor at American Affairs. Uh, and uh, a singer and guitarist in Vast Asteroid. Find them at, at Vast Asteroid. And we're talking about Eagles, and we get to the big one. 16 million copies in the U.S., 32 million worldwide. You probably know every single track on this album, perhaps not the one Randy Meisner sang. Uh, Joe Walsh uh, joins the band, uh, and you have Hotel California from 1976. Jeff, you didn't have a ton of thoughts on one of these nights. Uh, I, I will open Hotel California uh, with you. Well, I... Not going to be the guy to try to say the Hotel California is a terrible song, terrible record. It's a good album, and the song is a great song. I mean, it's one of those songs like that has become so epic, particularly because of its length. It was released unedited as a single, which is something that only bands with a huge amount of commercial confidence were able to get away with. Like the Beatles could do it with Hey Jude because they're the Beatles, and who's going to say no to them? Um, Don, um, you know, I think of like American Pie and Don McLean. That's never been edited either. And then I think of Hotel California, which is another one of those quintessential long singles. And I think it earns every second of its length. I can't, as much as I otherwise complain about the Eagles and the smoothness of their sound, this is amazing. And it's the guitar duet at the outro that really does it for me. Not not the whole Don Henley narrative about, you know, encountering the dark side of, of the California dream and the American dream. Again, there, it has those... It has that danger of seeming a little bit too self-serious, and yet mm -hmm. the fact that it remains largely elusive in the, the beats that it hits on that lyric, I think, saves it. But what really brings that track into like just truly legendary status is Don Felder and Joe Walsh playing together in tandem with that arpeggiation at the end of that song which is uh, just a brilliant little idea that I think they worked out as they were recording it at the time 
I also think the other amusing thing about that song is it's not actually really a Henley Fry song. They right. wrote the lyrics, but it was uh, Don Felder who wrote all of the music to that. I think the, the story was they sent them a bunch of demos, and mm-hmm. normally they're just actually like guitar licks or not really fully fleshed out ideas, but this is the first one that was on it, and it's obviously a really great little acoustic intro, and they said, well, okay, well, you can write a song around that. And they did a fantastic job of it. You know, there are other great songs on that record. I think the one that everyone else uh, turns to is Life in the Fast Lane. That's Joe Walsh sort of flexing his muscles, just playing that little guitar riff that opens it. And, you know, I believe the lyric is about or was based on at least, you know, Glenn Fry driving in a car with a yeah. drug dealer who had a bunch of like yeah. drugs stashed in the backseat. <laughs> you know, and he's going fr- 90. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a great song. New Kid in Town is a good song. I think it's one of those records where the first half is a lot better than the second half. Um, I don't really care for Victim of Love. I don't think that uh, Mr. Felder should have ever thought he was allowed to (laughs) sing lead vocals on Victim of Love. Uh, that was Don Henley's quote from the documentary. And I don't like The Last Resort either, which is the, la- the final song on this album. A mm-hmm. lot of people have a lot of praise for it. I just think it's sort of – it takes the whole idea of the Hotel California concept and it pushes it five steps too far. Well, and it's a little if, bit you hate, if you hate the Eagles, and I mean I, if you hate them, that's like exhibit A, right? I mean it's Henley yes. at his most sanctimonious with these lyrics yeah. about how man is awful and there's the strings on it and it's a little long and it like that's exhibit A if you really Back to what hate. I said earlier, the effing strings and I right. wrote it listening to that song. <laughs> Some rich man came and raped the land Nobody called a bunch of earthly boxes and Jesus people bought them they called it paradise the place to be they watched the hazy sun sinking in the sea but again this is this is a good album, and the first half of that album, I would say, is certainly the most consistent, just on a track-for-track basis, the most sort of unified as a conceit that they ever got. Um, you really can't criticize any of those first four songs, Hotel California, New Kid in Town, Life in a Fast Lane, and Wasted Time. They're all great. Yeah, and Wasted Time, I will make a case for it. You know, I, I'm, I'm a sucker, really, for Henley's voice. I, re- I, I, I really dig Henley's voice on a ton of of the tracks, um, not just Eagles, but, but also solo work. And and this is like the gritty, soulful Don Henley coming out, simple intersecting piano chords, very clean melody, as is the case with a lot of Eagles stuff. And it's just a breakup song at its core. And it's one of those lyrics that people relate to. Everyone's had a, a, a breakup. Everyone's had a, a bad time. And I think Wasted Time is um, is a good example of, of, of that with, with Henley uh, leading the way. Um, I actually like Victim of Love. I, 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 like, um, I like Joe Walsh's contributions to that. It's a churning rocker. Um, Henley's vocals, of course, are, are fantastic uh, on Victim of Love as well. Uh, but I think, you know, on the whole, as you said, the first half is stronger than the second half. Hotel California, by and of itself, that song lifts it to kind of legendary status uh, and it's a very very good record uh yeah i will definitely go to bat for uh <clears throat> for victim of love uh if nothing else um that it's a, a time capsule of you know of, of don henley saying i am going to sing this song <laughs> you are not and it's as, as ridiculous of an idea as if i wanted to play the lead at mm. the end of hotel california right 
Um, which, uh, but you know, I, I think two things are going on, on on this record that are that are especially significant to me. Uh, one is is Henley trying to figure out how to write hits about being himself a victim of love, uh, and just the puzzle that that sort of creates. You know, he do, he does Hotel California, and it's like oh, mirrors on the ceiling and pink champagne on ice and I'm in hell and what do I do? And, you know, no, the audience is like, that sounds awesome. Like, that's, <laughs> yes, I want to live that fantasy as Lord would later put it much later. Um, and, and I think it took a while for Henley to figure out how to, how to deal with the fact that his fans' fantasy was becoming his prison. Uh, and how to how to get that across in song in a way that wouldn't lose his audience or be misinterpreted. I don't think he really figured it out until the 80s, until he was able to sort of do some solo records. Um, you know, Boys of Summer is a stone classic, mm-hmm. and it was good enough that the frickin' Ataris covered it in, <laughs> what, late 90s, early 2000s? I saw a black flag sticker on a Cadillac. Um, and I think then, you know, he got had forgiveness and he had Boys of Summer and, you know, a couple other hit ish songs um, where finally kind of the boomer experience of that that hangover of of foolishness and misplaced love uh, started to catch up with them as a generation in, you know, and finally Henley was like, at last they understand. Um, and I think the deepest, that was the, you deepest, know, that, the, the deepest song that Don Henley ever wrote. In his solo career, of course, was all she wants to do is dance. <laughs> yes, yes, It'd be great. And and dance and up. make romance. Let's be clear. She's got to feel the heat out on the street. You can feel feel the heat rising on the street. Yeah, um, she likes to party. <laughs> and get down. Yeah. All she wants uh, to do is. And you know what the thing is? That's a great song. That is a great. It, song. it is. It is a great song. As is "Dirty Laundry" for all of its sort of horrendous. You know, Politics. this is the beginning, right? The, yeah. the beginning of of the the contemporary of the hot take Eagles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing going on on uh, Hotel California, the record that is, I think, of great significance, is the 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 full flower of Joe Walsh, um, so changing the character of the band. I think for the better. Uh, you know, Joe Walsh was a was a star in his own right. Before he joined this band, his his early solo stuff is great. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back and listen to that stuff, you know you're hearing um, kind of you know psychedelic roots rock, which is something that you got out of you know early Nugent, you know, like Journey to the Center of the Mind, like that kind of really heavy, weird roots yeah. rock that I think has come back with, you know, really a life of its own in the form of, you know, Eagles of Death Metal and that whole desert rock scene, um, the kind of weird, witchy, uh, rootsy psych rock, um, some of which can be, you know, uh, inessential depending on the skill set of the band in question, but a lot of which, you know, has served as, I think, an enduring locus for, like, West Coast weirdos who don't want to go down in a blaze of pink champagne and ice. You know, they would rather keep it a lot grittier and a lot more sort of weirdo outlaw. And uh, and that that vein is still being mined. And I think you know profitably so. And and generally to our benefit, as you know, as as Queens of the Stone Age themselves can can attest. Uh, also, just you know, Fry as a as a as an icon, or sorry, um, Walsh Joe Walsh. You know, when you look at some of the the art on the the records that he put out before joining the Eagles, um, <laughs> he looks like more of a hipster pirate badass 
than anyone living in Silver Lake or Echo Park today. Um, he he owned that. He destroyed it. Um, no one can rise to those heights of cool again. It, looking that way, but then a couple of years later, you know, he looks like he's, you know, he 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 got falling down drunk. Was propped up in front of a camera. Someone slapped some you know some in-flight goggles on his head and wrapped a scarf around his. <laughs> he total like weekend at Bernie's style. You know, he looks like a complete goofball. Uh, and Walsh managed over the course of his career in the Eagles to merge like that supreme cool with complete like slovenly idiot. And somehow those two things were able to be reconciled in his music and in his sort of iconic status. And I think, you know, I think it, it was a, it was a great counterpoint to what was beginning to become Don Henley's, you know, deep exploration of, isolation and melancholy uh and it and it rescued i think the eagles from from being sucked into you know into just the last resort over and over again I don't know if we'll ever do a Joe Walsh uh, a standalone political beats, but I will go to bat for Joe Walsh any day of the week, twice on Sunday. His stuff with the James Gang is fantastic. His solo oh, yeah. stuff is amazing. As a guitar player, he is right near the top. His weirdo, oddball personality always makes things uh, interesting. I, I'm, I'm just a big Joe Walsh. But yeah, I know the point of a greatest hits collection is to not have any bad tracks, but... If you get the, what, the 18-track Joe Walsh, Look What I Did, Greatest Hits, every one of those tracks is Stone Cold great, yeah. and it's it's all Joe Walsh. Listen, if all Joe Walsh ever did was Life's Been Good, I would defend him. <laughs> uh, that, song, that song, by the way, is a perfect, perfect encapsulation of what you were talking about, James. You're talking about, like, just the goofy stoner weirdness, and it gets into that very spaced-out guitar solo at the end. It's like mm -hmm. eight minutes long. You know, you think of it as a single they play on the radio, it's four minutes. If you've ever heard the full version, it goes on and on and on. But, yeah, that's Joe Walsh, a, a personality who seemed to be so at odds with the rest of the Eagles. Like, every, everybody in the band was so uptight these studio craftsmen who are just trying to agonizing over the deep thoughts of their lyrics and the you know well we have to place the strings right here and mix them this way we make sure our vocals aren't too watery and then it comes joe walsh stoned drunk high as a kite just playing a bunch of rugged guitars and having fun it was everything non-eagles brought into the eagles and it it loosened the album up quite a bit i don't know if it entirely loosened them up as a band simply mm. because i think at that point walsh wasn't was becoming a little less functional, unfortunately, <laughs> because his drug habit was beginning to take over. Yeah. Um, which, you know, three-year break after Hotel California, uh, before they come out with The Long Run, the final album from their first incarnation. Um, I don't know. Much like uh, much like uh, Jeff didn't have a ton to say about one of these nights, I don't know if I have a ton to say about The Long Run. This is the sound of a band to me, like the dog that caught the car. They, they got what they wanted they wanted to be a rock band they wanted to be loud they they got felder they got walsh they put out hotel california massive success what the heck do we do now what what do we do now and there's a little bit of all over the place on this record um i actually like the title track a lot the kind of a stacks r&b tribute uh the long run 
That's one of my favorite Eagles songs. Joe Walsh contributes in the city, which actually was on a soundtrack for a movie about a year pr- uh, prior to that. So, uh, you know, he kind of brought that fully formed to the band. They put it on the record. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, I'm not a disco strangler fan. Teenage Jail is just a bad song. It sounds like the Eagles, if they were listening to a bit too much Kiss uh, or maybe Black Sabbath, there's very heaviness to that. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I, I don't make a lot of the long run. It just sounds like a mess to me by and large. It was supposed to be uh, a it... double album. Can you imagine what they <laughs> left in the can if that was what they put on the record? I think they just didn't have the material. I mean, I dare you to listen to the Greeks don't want no freaks. <laughs> I dare you. Um, it's just, it's there's no excuse for music like that being made, um, and it's two minutes long. You know, it's just, um, and this is a this is a ten track record, um, and that's and it shows. Uh, nevertheless, you know, I think that the Kiss comparison is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and I think, you know, In the City is, is a top Eagles track for me. It sounds to me like it could have been like, you know, like an Ace Freely song. Uh, it's it's Kissing Cousins to um, uh, Back in the New York Groove, you know, another mm-hmm. sort of great, um, soft. Yeah, how do you even, you know, characterize what genre that, that song is? But we all know sort of what it is and it really works and it feels great. And um, and I was listening to In the City this morning in preparation for this this very moment in time and uh, you know those lyrics man the killers should cover that song if they put it out it sounds like it it sounds like it came right out of brandon flowers mouth and it would be a hit for them and and all to the good too we need the killers to cover in the city it would be a beautiful thing the the long run is the basically the first three songs uh i don't like heartache tonight it was a number one single that's another one of those you know, it's just sort of ballads that just, just you know, rubs me the wrong way. But I honestly, I really, really like the title track. I like the long run a lot. Mm-hmm. Sort of just a sort of standard mid-tempo, kind of a rocky kind of a ballad. But, you know, it works. It works really well. And then sort of my guilty pleasure on that album is I Can't Tell You Why. Um, sort of a very soul R&B mood for them, not standard Eagles at all. Um, and in fact, maybe that's one of the things that I like about it, that it feels so different from what they were doing, at least up until that point. And then In the City, I also like. I think that's a pretty good song. But yeah, the rest of this album, I mean, three years and then this, 
I, what were they doing all that time? It, they used to put drugs, out an album a year. Lots of yeah, cocaine. Well, yes, yeah, so cocaine and probably <laughs> lots of prescription drugs too. I'd imagine, but I, I just don't understand how it dried up so quickly. This, of course, is the same thing that happens to a number of bands where they have the big success, the long layoff, and then when they finally return, it's a mess. Um, but yeah, it just suddenly went pear shaped, and so I guess it was. It really shouldn't have been any surprise that uh, this is pretty much the end for them. Although it, when they ended, they, 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 I give this much credit to the Eagles. They ended ugly. They yeah. ended really memorably ugly, and that's that's something I have to salute them for. None of this quiet dissipation. Oh yeah, that they exploded. You want to? You want Who wants to tell the story? I, I I'll I'll take it because there's one little uh, nugget from the the history of the Eagles. I want to make sure that is mentioned. So it's 1980, and and uh, Eagles are doing a a, a a benefit show for Senator Alan Cranston, um, out in California. And so they play the uh, they don't play. That's before the show, and they're meeting the senator and his wife, and they're thanking the Eagles for doing the show. And I guess if I remember, Felder was upset because they were doing it for free. I mean, of all the money-making schemes the Eagles have had over the years to, to break up over Don Felder wanting more money, which actually would be a problem later on, too. But uh, so they say, thank you for playing. And Felder says, you're welcome, I guess. And that tripped Glenn Fry's trigger. So they spend the show, uh, Glenn Fry and Don Felder, basically taunting each other back and forth. Bill Simchek, who was the uh, producer, was running. You know, there was there was tape running. So they have this audio of Don Felder and Glenn Fry throughout the show going, I can't wait till the show's over and I'm going to kick your ass. And only three more songs till I get to kick your ass. Back and forth through the whole show. They get done with the show, and this is how Don Henley tells it in the history of the Eagles. So Felder storms off the stage and uh, grabs a guitar, and, and Henley makes sure to note the cheapest one he could find the cheapest one Don Felder could find, and <laughs> slams it against the wall, destroys the guitar, walks directly into a limousine, and zooms off. And as they say, that was it. That was the end of the Eagles right there. Well, not quite, because, of course, who could forget the, uh, <laughs> the fantastic album Eagles Live, released in 1980? By the way, obviously, it's a footnote. I like that record. I mean, Eagles Live is, is, is famous for being one of the least actually live albums in uh, pop and rock history. I think the only thing that comes close to it would be Stop Making Sense by the Talking Heads, which is basically entirely redone in the studio with mm -hmm. the exception of the drum tracks. Eagles Live was apparently mixed uh, from across two coasts because the band was in, in uh, Miami and uh, Fry was so angry at the rest of them that he stayed in L.A. and refused <laughs> to come out. So they said they, they just FedExed you know, tapes back and forth and he would do his vocals and fix his guitars uh, from 3,000 miles away. But it's a pretty good record, pretty representative record, covers all, all areas of their career, comes from shows in 1976 and 1980. I like it. Um, you know, no one's ever going to make any great claim to it being a fantastic, <laughs> uh, an, a, a truly necessary live album, but eh, I, I'm glad that I own it. Uh, you know, uh, the later Eagles, it, it how do you come back from from destroying the cheap guitar, climbing into the limousine, and never being seen or heard of again? Until you are seen, or it just, you know, it, it feels to me like how you can come back. It feels like like splitting the last Harry Potter book into two movies is what it feels like. To me. <laughs> uh, political beats: Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and uh, James Poldus with us talking Eagles. Uh, so that that's basically it for the Eagles as a creative force. 
Uh, there's a long hiatus, 14 years, where Glenn Fry and Don Henley have uh, successful solo careers. Uh, Irving Azoff, who uh, is made to look like a freaking genius in the uh, History of the Eagles documentary, uh, gets them all back together uh, for the Hell Freezes Over reunion. Four new tracks on that album. None of them stand out except for the, uh, I think, 47 minutes they spend in the History of the Eagles documentary showing us in minute detail how Get Over It was put together uh, in the studio. Um I don't know where you, where you want to go with this in terms of the the, the breakup, the reunion, the, the history of the Eagles documentary, which is so good and everyone wait, wait should a see. Second. This is going to be one of my two recommended albums. I don't know why are we skipping over this. Hell so. freezes over. No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. I mean, you could. It's your <laughs> it's list. A complete, it's a complete cash taking, you know, <laughs> cash taking procedure. Um, Get over it is one of those songs that I remember like thinking when I heard it in high school. I must have been like a freshman in high school, or like you know eighth grade, something like that. I was like, yeah. you know, this is a pretty jamming track, man. Yep. I yep. like this. And then I went back to it and I listened to it like <laughs> ten years later, and I, oh my god, it, it was so jarringly bad. It has all those horrible early '90s production, um, you know, those ticks that that were still kind of being filtered out. You know, grunge blew a lot of them away, but but they were still there in that. And I was like, oh man, this is embarrassing. You say you haven't done the same since you had your little crash, but you might feel better if they gave you some cash. The more I think about it, oh, Billy was right. Let's kill all the lawyers, kill them tonight. The live album is terrible. It really became, you know, just a, a nostalgia act. I think the thing they were most famous for and what they're most notable for in their reunion years was being the first major band to truly jack up ticket prices. Mm-hmm. I believe that that reunion tour in the mid-90s, mind you, was like $75 a ticket if you wanted to get in to see them. And nobody had ever heard anything like this before, not even for like, you know, the Stones or anything like that. You know, nothing had been this high priced up until that point. Um Beyond that, you know, I, I have, well, I'll admit, I have not listened to that last album, The Long Road Out of Eden. If anybody has any thoughts about that, you go, because I got nothing to say. Um, um, I think they are, they are still not uh, out of that road yet. They're not out of the woods. <laughs> um, they've they've not, not arrived in Eden yet. There is one great thing, however, that came out of the long you know, the post uh, breakup regathering of the Eagles. And that is, I'm going to be very, be frank here. I think this is one of the best and certainly most interesting musical documentaries I have ever seen. It is called the history of the Eagles. In fact, it is currently available for those who are listening. It's currently available on Netflix. So you just go to Netflix and watch it. You don't need to go buy a DVD or anything like that. I can't recommend this enough. And let me Mm -hmm. tell you this, this is the tribute that I can pay to the history of the Eagles documentary. I don't like this band. (laughs) I do not really like this band that much. I like some of their songs, as you can tell. But no, I have no particular desire to watch a documentary on the Eagles, but it is absolutely riveting. It's riveting. First of all, it's well done. It's well edited. Every member is involved. Not only every member of the band is interviewed, but a lot of the people who are sort of, you know, peripherally involved with the band get interviews as well, like Linda Ronstadt and Jackson Brown. Irving Azoff is there. Basically, if you weren't dead, you got to talk. And so that was really nice. They got everyone's voice in there. Everybody has something to say, which is also interesting. These people aren't just kind of like boring. Like Glenn Fry is still a pompous ass. Mm-hmm. Don Henley is still an amazingly pompous ass, but they're eloquently pompous. And the thing that makes it the most fascinating is that all the dirty laundry gets aired. 
This is not one of those documentaries where everybody pretends that they like each other mm -hmm. and everybody pretends that there weren't any fights. Don Henley hates Don Felder so much in this documentary <laughs> that he refuses to refer to him by his first name and instead speaks about him like he's a businessman that they met at a bar one day who <laughs> happened to join the band. He calls him Mr. Felder every time he mentions his name, which I think is the most amazingly brutal cold way to refer to a guy who actually was a member of your band for a for like really long time it's how you refer to someone in a lawsuit exactly <laughs> you should have called him the plaintiff says yeah. <laughs> it's a fantastic despite the fact that it spends far too long on their post reunion stuff you can skip that it's just really really interesting and there are, there are a lot of like also like really kind of entertaining stupid anecdotes about you know the horrible antics that they got up to during their heyday but i don't know i you guys have both seen this thing too what are your thoughts i think it's a, a it's one of the best band documentaries out there i mean you know the the beatles would never allow this to happen right they would <laughs> right. they would sort of go into their corners and stew in their mansions and you know have their their private moment of of hate and vitriol for one another uh and then you know the only thing that would ever show up on on film would be ringo sort of smiling along to something and and paul sort of dancing away from any sort of public confrontation uh, and, if, you know, even John sort of vented fully on television for a year or two and, and then became this sort of ascetic New York City figure. Um, and, you know, and the Eagles are 100% are completely confident and comfortable just bagging on each other uh, <laughs> for all of the horrible things that they did and all of the annoying characteristics that they had. And... Uh, you know, and and it, it it's it's so rare to catch a band in a moment when they fully embrace each other's personal horribleness, and they're they they've sort of come back. I guess that would be the payoff for me, where it's like, what a disappointment that it didn't all end on stage that one day. Uh, but then you do have this marvelous document of of this band that did somehow, you know, and maybe it was the money, but. I think it was, you know, even more than the money, it was the opportunity to sort of publicly insult each other, um, <laughs> you know, and it was like a safe space for them to just say, you know, yes, my bandmates are and, and yes, we're back together. Uh, right. That's just like a very, it's a very nice, um, it's a very nice way to sum up uh, what, what those, you know, th 30 years did to that generation and to Americans and to our, our sense of what the drama of rock and roll could be. It's a fantastic rock documentary. It is fantastic. Yeah, it's covered so much. I will say it is worth it just to watch Glenn Fry and Don Henley be the pompous jerks that they are, or at least appear to be, for about four hours. I mean, some of their cutting comments to each other and to bandmates are phenomenal. Uh, it is uh, also worth it, I think, for the Joe Walsh angle on the story, his hard partying ways and how really the reformation of the band probably saved his life from uh, his drug addiction. He had to get clean to do the album and the right. tour. Um, that's worth it. And then, yeah, a lot of part two is really we forgot how much we enjoyed making enormous amounts of cash, and that's why we <laughs> like to keep playing and going on tour as long as people will pay us. Uh, but that, that's okay. It, it is worth it, all of it. It is worth all of it. Um, or the time is worth to see all of it, I should say. All right. Political Beats, Eagles, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and James Poldis is our guest. He's the author of the recent book, The Art of Being Free, contributing editor at American Affairs. And we come to the portion of the show where we identify the uh, two albums that everyone 
should own from Eagles and the five tracks that people should hear. We start first, as always, with our guest, James. Uh, so, you know, there's uh, a limited amount to choose from here, and that's a, a curse and a blessing. But I think it's it's got to be um, it's got to be one of these nights in Hotel California. Um, you know, as as someone who thinks New Kid in Town is actually quite hauntingly weird in the way that some of those killer songs are, you know, where you can't tell whether it's it's good or bad to be the new kid in town and you have to sort of sit with that you know i think that whole sort of that that weird spirit of hotel california is is even better than than the song itself um and you know one of these nights between the title track and and take it to the limit uh, i think is just prime slice eagles um if you if you're more of a if you're more of an album person you know by all means check out the earlier records but if you're an album person you probably really aren't a true eagles fan uh it's five true. songs yeah you have five songs you can share with us as well uh right so you know so one of these nights take it to the limit uh new kid in town um <clears throat> and then you know in the in the interests of being borderline willfully perverse i will say uh <laughs> yes victim of love um and yes in the city uh, which, in spite of the fact that it's basically a Joe Walsh song, uh, I mean, for crying out loud, it was it was on the soundtrack to the Warriors. Mm-hmm. People, this is a this is a a a time capsule of America at its kind of m- most inane and dysfunctional. Uh, you know that whole sort of New York City at its at its trashiest and 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 most decrepit. Uh, yet still, that that sort of ebullient optimism that flowed out of it in some way uh, is is in in the city. And uh, and so that's my top five. Um, I'll take the number two slot here. I I, I can't um, argue with the album picks. Um, but again, the Eagles are such a, a singles band, and you don't want to say pick up the greatest hits. That's not what we want to tell you, but. But, I mean, really, there you go. But if you're going to do albums, yeah, one of these nights, and I think Hotel California uh, span pretty well what the Eagles were doing during that time frame. Uh, Singles or uh, songs that that you should hear, uh, I'm going to do two popular and three less popular. Uh, The Long Run, uh, the title track from the last album, the album's a mess. Track is really good, as I said. It has stacks R and B kind of kind of tribute kind of feel to it. It's it's one of my favorite Eagles tracks. Absolutely, one of these nights from that album. Uh, again, uh, disco four on the floor beat. Uh, the way it sucks you in that 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 opening is great. Uh, three others. Let's see. My man, the Graham Parsons tribute that Bernie uh, Ledden wrote, is one to check out from uh, from one of the early albums uh, on the border. Uh, also, uh, what are you gonna do? Train Leaves Here This Morning from the very first record, uh, co-written by Gene Clark. And Out of Control is a track from Desperado. It's one of the rockers on Desperado. And Eagles did do some interesting things. And this one, if you close your eyes, if you close your eyes and just listen, you might hear like just a little hint of maybe Big Star or like a Southern Fried the sweet a little bit uh out of control is one worth seeking out to at least hear that portion of what they were doing at that time Yeah. Well, I suppose I can't say Greatest Hits Volume 1 and Greatest Hits Volume 2. <laughs> um, 
that would be unfair. So I will probably uh, go with On the Border, which, uh, you know, as James said, I may like because I'm more of an album-oriented guy. Uh, and, of course, the other one is Hotel California. Not to sound like everyone else, but it's Hotel California, and the first half of that record is fantastic. And as for my five songs, I'll say, um, I, again, I really like I really like On the Border, so my first two come from there. Uh, first one's Already Gone, and Midnight Flyer, which I think is a hugely underrated song. Um, then Hotel California, which I noticed that nobody mentioned, um, but I guess it's so ubiquitous that it seems pointless to. Uh, and again, another one that people don't mention, but I still think actually is uh, the best the Eagles got as a pure rock act, and that's Life in the Fast Lane. That's 100% Joe Walsh. That's everything he brought to that group. And then the last one I'll say is The Long Run, which, you know, just like Scott, that, you know, that is a terrible album. That is a fantastic song. I really love that Stax Fold feel. I love the sort of easygoing melody. And it's like, it's so surprising to me that that song seems so effortless. It seems just mm-hmm. so well assembled and so confident. And that so much of the rest of that record is such a disaster. It, it, they, something was clearly amiss with the band. And it was pretty obvious that it wasn't going to continue far beyond that. And there we go. Our look at Eagles on Political Beats. Uh, thanks. To our guest, James Polis, you can find him on Twitter, at James Polis, uh, uh, last name P-O-U-L-O-S. His recent book, The Art of Being Free, contributing editor also at American Affairs. James, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking Eagles with us. A real pleasure. I'm uh, I'm delighted that uh, that the Eagles have been vindicated this afternoon. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Yes, yes. Uh, and Jeff, always uh, always fun to have your uh, insights, and even on a band that you're not a giant fan of with the Eagles. Have, have, we, have we changed your have mind at all? Have the fun of here? it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, remember, you can uh, subscribe to our feed, new episodes on Mondays, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, nationalreview.com on the podcast tab. You can find uh, new episodes on Mondays, old episodes there as well at nationalreview.com. Again, this has been a presentation of National Review. This has been Political Beats.